This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Of course, I am Matt Lombardo, Fansided's national NFL insider, and we have a big show on tap. Former Cincinnati Bengals and Penn State linebacker Brandon Bell joins me in just a bit. We'll get into Micah Parsons' dominant dominant rookie season coming off of the strongest performance of his rookie campaign Thursday night in the Cowboys win over the New Orleans Saints. Dive into some of the biggest stories of the NFL season, including Daniel Jones's injury and what it means for his future or lack thereof potentially with the New York Giants and a whole lot more. But before we get into all of that, a little bit of housekeeping as always. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean a lot if you went ahead and subscribed in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, YouTube, all of your favorite platforms podcast platforms to the Stacking the Box NFL podcast. You get two great podcasts for the price of none. It's Mark Carmen and Matt Verderam every Tuesday on Stacking the Box. And of course, every Friday, you get the Matt Lombardo show right to your phone, your laptop, your tablet, wherever you're listening from. And if you really enjoy the podcast, if you tune in every week, if you enjoy my work, please go ahead and leave a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store. Let me know what you like, what you don't like about the podcast, a guest or two that you'd like to hear from, and I'll go try to get them on. Those are views really help grow the show and you know certainly growing a career right now for himself is Micah Parsons and I know if you follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL you know I tweet about Parsons quite a bit and it's not just because I'm a Penn State football season ticket holder it's not just because I've kind of followed his career from his time at Harrisburg through Happy Valley and now to Dallas but you look at what he's doing Double-digit sacks now, 10 sacks on the season. You look at the performance on Thursday night, a couple of major impact plays, not just the sack of Taysom Hill where you saw the closing speed, the 4-3-9 closing speed on that sack of Hill to get him to 10 sacks on the year, but the first interception, he was step-for-step in coverage, almost tipped the ball into the hands of the Cowboys defensive back who made an elite toe drag along the sidelines for a pivotal interception. Michael Parsons isn't just the most dominant player on the Dallas Cowboys defense, but you look at what he's done so far, 72 total tackles, two forced fumbles, 10 sacks. This is a guy who, along with Trayvon Diggs in the Cowboys secondary, along with, to a certain lesser extent, Darius Slay, along with Aaron Donald, Michael Parsons is right there in the mix for defensive player of the year for the Dallas Cowboys and in the NFL. And I look at his season. I look at what he's done so far. I look at the athleticism and kudos to Dan Quinn, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, for making the adjustment of moving Micah Parsons back to the edge rusher position where that's been his natural position since high school. He was a five-star defensive end, the number one defensive end in his high school recruiting class. You put him back there and the results are really speaking for themselves. He also has, of course, the experience of playing inside linebacker and he's a great off-ball linebacker as well. I'll be interested to hear Brandon Bell's take on not only Parsons, but how his game, his skill set, and what he's doing on Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays every week is really impacting the future of the linebacker position because I got to tell you to apologize to John Landau who famous famously wrote that he's seen rock and roll's future and its name is Bruce Springsteen I've seen the future of defensive football in the NFL and its name is Michael Parsons this kid is just that dominant and you think about the Cowboys as a whole when they get Demarcus Lawrence fully healthy and Randy Gregory back and they have Parsons 
you deploy those guys against any offensive line in the league, they're going to have their hands full. And those are three really impact rushers. And that says nothing for all of the athleticism and the explosiveness of that Cowboys offense with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. You saw it on Thursday night. Lamb making a circus catch that didn't count. Gallup making one that certainly did for a touchdown against the Saints. The Cowboys are still the team to beat in the NFC East. And I think that they've kind of built a pretty wide gap between themselves and Philadelphia after the Eagles went to the Meadowlands and lost to the Giants and the Washington football team, where I think it's just kind of hanging around. But they're one of the teams to beat in the NFC. I put them maybe a rung below the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I'm not betting against Tom Brady in January. I'm certainly not betting against Aaron Rodgers if they have another chance to host an NFC championship game. And I think the Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals are kind of on even footing. Both of them are kind of Jekyll and Hyde. Both of them have some really bad losses. And when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals, there's questions now about Kyler Murray's durability. There are lingering questions, as I think there should be, about Cliff Kingsbury's team's ability to close down the stretch after what we saw a year ago and kind of what we've seen over the past couple of weeks from the Arizona Cardinals. But the one thing the Cardinals have that the Cowboys don't It's an absolutely dominant defense and an absolutely dominant front seven. The Cowboys defense is coming along, but when you talk about what Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden are doing off the edge in Arizona, that's why the Cardinals are the team to beat in the NFC West right now. That's why they're a cut above a suddenly struggling Los Angeles Rams. That's why they're a cut or two above Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. If there's a team that I think could get hot down the stretch, It's the Arizona Cardinals. I think that they're the team that if they turn it around in the second half of this season, if Kyler Murray stays healthy, you look at what's happening in Seattle and them struggling mightily, losing a terrible game to the Washington football team on Monday night, a game they have no business losing. You look at what's happening in L.A. right now with Matthew Stafford really struggling and the predictability late in the year from Sean McVay that seems to be rearing its ugly head again. I think Arizona is the class of the NFC West, and I think that if you look at the NFC, yes, I think that the Buccaneers and the Packers, from a roster standpoint, from a quarterback standpoint, a track record standpoint, and a coaching standpoint, I feel so much better about LaFleur and Arians than I do about Kingsbury, but you look at the ability for them to get hot, the star power with DeAndre Hopkins, with Kyler Murray, and with that defense, if they get a couple home games in the playoffs they're going to be a tough team to beat. So I think that they're right in that second tier in the NFC, along with the Dallas Cowboys, just below teams like the Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But you look on the AFC side and a team that I think nobody is going to want to play down the stretch, that nobody wants to see make their way into the NFL postseason because they now have the formula of how to win in the playoffs, that's the Indianapolis Colts. And yes, I know they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but that game was tight. That game was a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and you're really starting to see the renaissance of Carson Wentz in that system with Frank Reich, with an RPO-based offense that really plays off of the best attributes of his skill set. As I had an NFC coach tell me in my column this week on Wednesday, go check it out on fansided.com, There's just a confidence about Carson Wentz in that system, in that scheme. The turnovers are way down. The touchdowns are way up from a year ago. And I don't know that there's been more of a juxtaposition in the NFL in recent memory of just how valuable an offensive line is 
to a quarterback from where Carson Wentz was a year ago to where he is right now. And he just looks like a completely different player. You look at last year, it was an absolute disaster in Philadelphia and the worst season of his career, quite frankly. You look at 2,620 passing yards before he gets benched for Jalen Hurts, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions this year. 21 touchdowns, 5 picks, and the career high of 33 touchdowns back in 2017 is very well in reach for Carson Wentz. And you look at the AFC playoff picture, they're on the outside looking in at the moment. But if you string together some wins, if you make your way in, and you have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield who is capable of busting out for 125, 150-plus every single week, the NFL season's first 1,000-yard rusher. You have Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton on the outside, and arguably a top three or so offensive line in the league with that quarterback and a defense that features Darius Leonard on the other side. Look, the Colts are a team that I don't know anybody in the AFC that would be excited about facing them, especially a team like Buffalo that's been so streaky, with Josh Allen really starting to regress a bit this season. You look in Baltimore, even though they beat the the Cleveland Browns on Sunday night, Lamar Jackson, yes, he's a human highlight reel. Yes, at times this season, he's looked like an MVP. He turned it over four times against the Browns the other night. I think that they're very beatable. I'm not sold on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that their issues run very deep, and not the least of which is Ben Roethlisberger falling off a cliff. But if you look on the AFC side, outside of a team like Kansas City that can just put up 30 points per game, and that defense starting to kind of turn it around and find their footing again over the last month, I don't know that a team had checks all of the boxes the way that the Colts are right here, right now. The Titans are banged up. They're injured. The Browns might not even make it in. The Bengals are streaky as hell. One week, you're going to see Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase look like Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. The next week, they're going to get run out of their own building in a game that they have no business losing. So again, the Colts have to find their way in. But if they get hot, If they make the playoffs, if they get hot at the right time and that defense starts to play above its head and Carson Wentz continues to play at this level, there's a good chance that the Indianapolis Colts could be a version of last year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I sure wouldn't want to be a team like the Buffalo Bills on a cold, miserable night on the banks of Lake Erie or in Baltimore if you're the Ravens on a a cold night in, in Baltimore. I don't know that I'd want to see Jonathan Taylor on the other side. I don't know that I would want to see Carson Wentz getting his first real taste of playoff football after being knocked out of his first playoff game in an Eagles uniform against the Seattle Seahawks and having to sit on the sidelines in 2017 as Nick Foles got the Eagles across the finish line to hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. So I really like what the Cowboys are building right now in the NFC. I put them as a second-tier team there. I think the Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still the teams to beat on that side of the bracket and in the AFC watch out for the Indianapolis Colts on the other side we'll check in with former NFL linebacker former Penn State linebacker Brandon Bell right here on the Matt Lombardo show inside fan-sided stack in the box podcast feed how do you make a radio ad for an 8k tv that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs this is the best we can do Samsung Neo QLED 8K, unreasonably good. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. And as we talked about earlier, 
Micah Parsons is on an absolute tear and building a strong case, not just for NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, but NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And who better to break down Micah Parsons' game, linebacker play across the NFL, than former NFL linebacker and former Penn State linebacker, Brandon Bell. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at underscore B Bell. Brandon, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking the time today. I'm good. I'm well. I'm well. No problem. I appreciate you inviting me on and uh, looking forward to it. Of course, happy to have you here, and especially coming off of recording this on a Friday afternoon, just another monster game in what's been a string of them for Micah Parsons. Five total tackles, one sack. He now has double-digit sacks, one of the fastest rookies to ever reach that milestone. When you watch Micah Parsons, Brandon, is there a linebacker you can compare him to, somebody that you know you think back and you think, wow, he really reminds me of this guy? I mean, it's tough. He has some, uh, some unique traits, but a lot of people – um, some of the film I've watched and some of my um, co-workers I work with, they say uh, Lawrence Taylor, LT, you know, that's before my time, but I've seen tape and footage, but similar size. But I think Micah's explosiveness um, is, is, is next level. It's different than anything I've seen from that position. I think we saw that on Thursday night with that sack that he had on Taysom Hill, where I mean, it just looked like he was shot out of a cannon. You saw the athleticism really shine through. And, of course, he arrived in Happy Valley as a five-star defensive end. The top defensive end in his recruiting class becomes an All-American in two years at inside linebacker. What does that say about him as a player, that he can be that dominant and that versatile at two key positions? Oh, man, it says it says a lot. You know, um, and big shout-out to Brent Pry, my old coach, his old coach now, Virginia Tech, former Penn State linebacker and uh defensive coordinator. He, uh, I know he helped him tremendously make that transition more so to, you know, stack linebacker. But uh, yeah, Micah obviously has a, he's smart. Let's start with that. He has the ability to make that transition and everything that comes with, you know, the playbook uh, at inside linebacker, making the calls, getting people in position. And then just the athletic ability to almost use his body in a different way than most inside backers can. You know, you see him kind of slipping blocks is a little bit different. And then, as you said, he's shot out of a cannon. When he goes, he's best going forward. And we see that week in and week out. 72 total tackles, 10 sacks, two forced fumbles. I watch him and I see a guy with perennial all-pro potential, potentially future Hall of Famer if he stays healthy and continues to get better. And I think that staying healthy might be his biggest hurdle to getting to that point. But when you watch him, Brandon, is Micah changing the way that we look at linebackers and view that position? Or is he just a one-of-a-kind player? I think, yeah, it's not fair. Uh, I think he's just one-of-a-kind player. It wouldn't be fair to expect some of the things that he's doing with other you know, incoming rookies over the next year years or inside backers in general. It's always, um, when a guy can go from each level, let's start with high school to college to the top of the top in the NFL. And he doesn't, he looks the same as far as, you know, like you said, being shot out of a cannon, his closing speed. When guys can move throughout each level, playing the exact same and look and dominating, that's always a telltale of, you know, those type of high caliber players, you know, uh, we've seen it, early with Jamar Chase, you know, cooled off a little bit, but you seamlessly, you know, come into the NFL and dominate. It's very rare. And that's what, that's what he's been able to do so far. 
Justin Jefferson the same way coming into Minnesota and carrying that through his first two years. And, you know, another player at the linebacker position who always seems to fly under the radar, in my opinion, just doesn't get enough praise for what he does on a week to week basis. That's Eric Hendricks. When you watch him play, what is it about him that stands out, especially with how dominant that Vikings front seven seems to be every year? Yep, yep. I like him a lot. Doesn't get a lot of notoriety, as you said. It's definitely some Pro Bowls he's could have been to. But, um, yeah, he's super smart, man. He knows that defense in and out. He knows where he's supposed to be, where every other defender is supposed to be. And, and I think that only helps him play a lot faster than maybe what he is, although he's no slouch of an athlete. Um, he can do it all as well. Drop back in coverage. You see it every year, probably one or two pick sixes a year with a few turnovers. Uh, great tackler, has open field, you know, range, sideline to sideline, and he controls that defense for sure. And similar to Micah Parsons, there's another hybrid rookie linebacker out there who's really making a name for himself, and that's Jeremiah Wosokomoroa from the Cleveland Browns. You know, you're starting to see these hybrid linebackers who are ex-safeties. They move into the box, and they just throw their weight around up there. When you're yep. watching him, is he a finished product of what the quote-unquote money backer is supposed to be, or is there still potential that's been untapped for him? Uh, yeah, I can say that. Both, uh, I can agree to both what you just said. I think there is untapped potential, but as well, he, he is that prototype star, you know, money backer, whatever you want to call it. Oftentimes, you know, those safety transition guys, they're little, they're not as strong, you know, they can't necessarily be in the box. But you see him, he's flying around, he's downhill in the gaps and still has that safety speed, you know, sideline to sideline and uh, to be able to cover and drop back. Let's take Micah Parsons off the table for a second, put him up on the shelf. Brandon, is there a linebacker, in your opinion, that's been the most impressive and the most dominant so far in this season? In this season? Um, I mean, there's a several, there's several guys that are doing it at a high level very well. Um, you spoke on Eric Kendricks. I like Devin White, man. Uh, another young backer, younger backer. Um, he consistently has a juice to him that I notice just on whether it's TV or on the film. He is a hundred miles per hour every play and he has uh, elite speed. I think he ran like a four, three to combine, but he, he, you see that every week, um, especially from a 240 pound guy. It's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. I think he might be the best player at the position, period. He's the guy Devin White is, especially after what he did in the postseason a year ago, what he did especially in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. I don't know that there's a more complete linebacker or more dominant linebacker out there than him right now. Yep, yep. Um, it's hard to argue. And his counterpart, Levante David, is still – he's been doing it at a high level for several, several years. Doesn't get a ton of notoriety, but they're both of those guys in that Super Bowl run, they were dominant. And another guy, Bobby Wagner, he's turning 32, arguably the most complete linebacker maybe for the last decade. He's just consistently been an all-pro, Pro Bowl caliber player, and really the heart and soul of that Seattle Seahawks defense. You know, if you were Wagner and the team was entering a rebuild, because who knows what's going to happen with Russell Wilson this offseason, would you ask for a trade? Would you try to get out and go to a contender, or are you going to stick around and try to stick it out with whoever the next regime is? Ah, that's tough. That's tough. You know, I'm not sure what what's in his mind. I mean, he does have a Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, but yeah, Almost going two. To, if they don't, if yeah. they don't throw that pick at the goal line, he'd have two rings. Should have been two. Should have been two. Um, but yeah, if you know, if he feels like he's done all he's need 
needed to do in Seattle, then why not? Why not go for a trade, hopefully to a, um, a nice contender? Uh, but that's, you know, that's that's all preference. Maybe he loves Seattle, wants to stay, retire in the, in the Seattle up there. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be – I would be interested in seeing him in a diff, different uniform flying around. That would be fun to see. For sure. And I just want to stick in the NFC West for a moment. And you just look at what's happening in Arizona with that defense. And you now have Chandler Jones and you have Marcus Golden, both double-digit sacks, one of the premier edge duos in the league. What jumps out when you watch those guys? Those guys have been around for a while, too, and they're they're just professionals. You know, Chandler Jones is still a freak, you know, uh, no matter how many years he's been in, knows the game in and out. And uh, same thing with Golden, you know, he's he's low to the ground. Those guys are coming off the edge. And that's the Cardinals defense as a whole is just is has a ton of speed. You know, I like the rookie linebacker they got this year and. Isaiah Simmons is you could tell he's playing a lot faster seems like uh, a, a, a switch flicked with him doesn't it with Isaiah yeah yes definitely and I, I don't think that's too much of a surprise you see that often in the second year you know that's where you're supposed to make you know big strides um coming off your rookie year should know the playbook a little better you know you're comfortable out there you've been out there you've got that experience on your belt and you know they use them in a lot of different ways so I'm sure that might have slowed him down a little bit they zeroed in on a few things and he's playing fast I like him a lot Brandon which defensive coordinator out there because I know there are guys that are going to get interviews whether it is Patrick Graham from the New York Giants whether it's Todd Bowles getting a much deserved second chance after what he's been able to do in Tampa Bay who are one or two defensive coordinators out there that you think are most likely to become head coaches this coming offseason or you think should get head coaching opportunities I would say off the top of my head, I just when you when you say defensive coordinators, I think of Martindale in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, you know, consistently, you know, had a ton of injuries this year, but he's the one defensive coordinator, and Spagnolo as well, that you know they're gonna bring it to the offense. They're gonna dictate or try to dictate what the offense does. You know, a lot of defensive coordinators say that they're not gonna sit back and you know let the offense work them they're going to work the offense um but he goes out there and does it with those guys and I've liked him uh for quite a, quite some time and he's very aggressive and he, he stands by it Brandon I want to turn the page a little bit here you know I'm a big Penn State guy season ticket holder for the football program big proponent of what James Franklin is Ooh. building up in Happy Valley you brought up Brent Pry he gets hired this week by the Virginia Tech Hokies, goes back home, becomes a head coach for the first time. Two-parter for you. One, what is Virginia Tech getting? What makes Brent Price such a, a, an elite head coach? And how does James Franklin move on? And how do Penn State, uh, how do they replace him up there in Happy Valley? Yeah, yeah. Similar to uh, what I said about Martindale, at least from a defensive standpoint, and I think uh, Coach Pye will bring that to the whole team now as he's a head coach, is that aggressiveness, that confidence. Uh, he's going to instill that in his guys with his, you know, play calling and his demeanor. And especially in college, that confidence goes a long way. I tell people that all the time. You know, um, as long as you can get those guys believing in what you're, you know, coaching and teaching, and go out there flying around, um, they can cause some trouble over there in the ACC. Um, and as far as replacing him, I mean, I feel like, it's going to be tough, especially, you know, because he had such a great rapport with the kids there. 
they got to get somebody to come in that's very much obviously has a good scheme for the uh, guys there, but also can connect with the kids. I think that's that's lost so much in college football. You can't just come in and be an X and O guy, be a robot, and expect kids to you know want to go out there and run through a wall for you. So uh, you need someone that's good in that regard, but also you know has a monster of a defensive mind and can come in there and hopefully not not miss a step. And obviously, Penn State had a struggle the last couple of years, four and five last year, and of course finishing this season, you know, on a down note as well. Knowing James Franklin as well as you do going through that program, how do they turn it around? And what makes you confident that they're going to reach the heights again of a Big Ten championship, three New Year's Six Bowls that we saw in the early part of James Franklin's tenure? How do they turn that program around up there? I think they have to continue doing what they're doing. And and what that brings, as we know, in the game of college football, is about recruiting. Um, as cliche as it might sound, if you get – and it, might, it doesn't always have to be a five-star, four-star, but obviously more of those guys have the mindset. That's the difference when it comes, in my mind, is that mindset that could change the program. You get one, whether it's a quarterback, a linebacker, kind of a premier position, that can, you know, change the mindset of that whole program to, you know, winning championships. Um, and hopefully that spreads throughout, you know, the whole team. And then you get more recruits that think the same high level athletes. I think that's how you, you know, get over the hump to, um, you know, being the top of uh, that Big Ten East. And I think that's what the university is buying into with this 10 year extension. You have the number one quarterback in the country and Drew Alar coming in in this class. You have a five star running back and Nick Singleton. I think the recruiting class as a whole is ranked number four overall in the nation. You start yeah. stacking classes like that, all of a sudden, winning begets more winning, recruiting takes off, and now you can start to nip at the heels of the Michigans and the Ohio States a little bit closer. Yes, for sure. For sure. It's about, um, you know, getting those caliber of players in there. I mean, one recruiting class turns into two. And by the time that freshman recruiting class, you know, that's hopefully it's this one. Let's say by the time they're seniors, there's four or three classes behind them that are all the same. And as you said, you know, the games against Ohio State and Michigan's, you know, are more even than what people say. Or maybe we're the big dog, hopefully. There you go, Brandon. I want to go full circle here. Micah Parsons, what kind of recruiting tool is that, watching him dominate every Sunday for James Franklin to be able to go into a living room and say, we developed a Micah Parsons, we developed a Pat Fryermuth, we developed an Adafi Owe. How powerful is that? Because you, you've been in that spot. You've been right. the high school kid in the living room with the coach coming in. How powerful is that message when you can point to those players dominating at the NFL level and all first or second round picks those guys? Yep, yep. especially with Micah, you know, being a, a PA, PA guy, you know, getting keeping that uh, kid in state was huge for them, as you never know from where any point of uh, Pennsylvania where another five star type of kid is going to pop up from. So to be able to say that, like, hey, stay home, you know, we'll get you to where you want to get as long as you commit to us, we'll commit to you. And uh, so that's huge. But that's it's that's the that's the game. That's the game. You know, kids that can't get lost. Kids want to play in the NFL. There's no hiding it. There shouldn't be any hiding it. But college is the avenue and you can have a grandiose time at, you know, Penn State University. 
accomplish everything you want to accomplish academically, socially, and especially football. And you can, you know, it'll be your stepping stool into the NFL as that's your dream. Brandon, this has been terrific. Really appreciate the insight and the conversation. You can follow Brandon Bell on Twitter at underscore B Bell. Brandon, you told me you have a podcast coming out. Fill us in. Yes, yes. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I've been working on it for a little bit, a little bit of procrastination, but podcast is coming. So just stick with me on the socials. Um, as you said, underscore, underscore B Bell, Instagram and Twitter is coming soon. And just, you know, give a follow, follow back. What kind of pod? What are we talking about on the podcast? Definitely, you know, it's going to be a lot of this sports, you know, kind of want to keep it general, but sports and uh, anything socially going on, things that things that I want to talk about, positivity in the world, not so much the negative things. Love it. Always need more positivity in today's day and age. Brandon Bell, this has been terrific. Go ahead and follow Brandon on Twitter at underscore underscore B Bell. Brandon, appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you further up the road, my friend. And best of luck on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You as well. Great analysis there from Brandon Bell. And not just when it comes to Micah Parsons, but I thought the name Wink Martindale was a really interesting one to throw out there as the potential defensive coordinator who could be a hot commodity as a head coaching candidate later this offseason during this offseason's hiring cycle. And you hear all about the guys like Todd Bowles, who I think really deserves another shot. You hear a lot about Patrick Graham, who you talk to people inside the league. He is certainly on the short list of a lot of teams who are going to be in the market for head coaches this coming offseason. But Martin Dale is in a really unique spot. He's interviewed for jobs before, for whatever reason, hasn't gotten one. And he has a Ravens defense that's really punching above their weight. They're getting dominant performances from guys like Odafa Owe. And they're right now ranked fourth in total defense. They're allowing 23 points per game. If they keep that up, and they overcome a team like the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC North, if they make a run in the postseason... There's no reason why Wink Martindale won't be mentioned to perhaps get interviews and maybe even get hired as a head coach this coming offseason. So again, thanks to Brandon Bell. Check him out on Twitter at underscore underscore B Bell. Looking forward to his podcast as well. On the other side, we're going to get into one of the bigger stories of the NFL this week that has a chance to really cloud the rest of this NFL season. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show. Inside fan-sided Stack in the Box podcast feed. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Welcome back in, and between Thursday and Friday, two of the bigger stories that have a chance to really hang a dark cloud, very different dark clouds, by the way, but a dark cloud nevertheless, over the rest of the NFL season really came to the forefront. The first of which is Antonio Brown being busted in Tampa Bay and being suspended for three games for forging a COVID vaccination card. And this is way worse, way more consequential than what Aaron Rodgers did in Green Bay, basically misleading the media about whether or not he was vaccinated. It seems like the Packers knew the deal with Aaron Rodgers, that Aaron Rodgers' teammates knew the deal that he wasn't vaccinated. But in Tampa Bay, 
What, what Antonio Brown did is a federal offense. It's a felony. Now, I don't think that Antonio Brown is going to face any sort of jail time. I don't know that he's going to go to prison for this. But I do think that some sort of probation or community service is very much on the possibility list here for what happens to Antonio Brown. And I don't know that there's anything more selfish that he could have done than forging a vaccination card because it not only puts unvaccinated people within the building at risk, it, it puts people in his community at risk as well. And you could tell by the tone and tenor of Bruce Arians' conversation with the media on Friday when he basically said that he'll deal with Antonio Brown and backup safety Mike Edwards when their suspension ends. It's a three-game suspension. Now, I don't know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to release Antonio Brown. I'm sure that the union would be in an uproar if something like that happened, but it wouldn't shock me if you see Antonio Brown suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. It wouldn't shock me if you see his role dramatically reduced, at least in his first game back, to prove a point. But I do think the media at large and people on Twitter are framing this exactly the wrong way. This isn't just about Antonio Brown flouting the NFL's COVID protocols. This isn't just about Antonio Brown being suspended by the NFL for three games and wondering if there are going to be more games that are tacked onto that by a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team suspension or anything related to those sort of actions. What I think people are missing here is that it's a federal crime to fake a vaccination card and that there are very real world consequences that could be coming down the pike for Antonio Brown, whose life and career has faced a litany of issues off the field and legally for Antonio Brown throughout the course of his career. And this is just another example of him being just a bad dude all around. And it's a selfish move to not go and get vaccinated in the first place, an even more selfish move to lie to your organization, lie to your coaches, lie to your teammates, and present a fake vaccination card. I just, I can't wrap my head around why Brown would go to those measures. There are protocols in place. Wear a mask around the facility. You have to eat your meals outdoors. You have to wear a mask when you're meeting the media before or after games or after practice. Why you had to go those steps to fake a vaccination card. And there are allegations inside the league. There are people inside the league I've been speaking to who believe that his agent helped him cover this up, that that's the belief inside the NFL. And if that's the case, you kind of have to wonder if there are other players that have committed the same offense that might need to be investigated for doing the same thing. And I'll tell you this, being around the New York Giants every week before and after games, now, after the Thanksgiving holidays in the rearview mirror, every media member has to wear a mask in the press conference, regardless of vaccination status, because you're starting to see the surge of Omicron. You're starting to see, of course, in the winter months when people spend more time indoors in maybe not so ideally ventilated areas, you're starting to see a surge in cases. The NFL isn't messing around here. Unvaccinated players the whole year have had to wear masks during press conferences and wear masks around the facility. Antonio Brown tried to go and, you know, create a different standard for himself and in the process put a lot of people at risk and came off about as selfish as you can come off. So I'll be really fascinated to see, knowing Bruce Arians a little bit, I'll be fascinated to see how Bruce Arians handles this situation after Antonio Brown's suspension by the NFL is served. And up north, a team that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat a couple of weeks ago, the New York Giants, they have a real mess on their hands for an entirely different reason. Because you look at Daniel Jones now officially ruled out for Sunday's game against the Miami Dolphins, this is a really 
really difficult monkey wrench to be thrown into the New York Giants evaluation of Daniel Jones and his future with that franchise. Because here's a guy that despite going out and drafting Kadarius Toney in the first round, despite spending $45 million guaranteed in free agency on Kenny Galladay, both of those guys have been injured, by the way. Saquon Barkley has been more injured than healthy so far this year. But regardless of playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league, Daniel Jones has just 10 touchdowns to seven interceptions so far this season, and that's not the anomaly when it comes to his three-year career. The rookie campaign is starting to look like an outlier for Daniel Jones. In 2019, he burst onto the scene just over 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, a career-high 87.7 passer rating. The following year, he's banged up a little bit, just under 3,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and this year, with all of the issues facing the Giants, 2,400 yards, 10 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. The New York Giants have the worst red zone offense in the NFL. And this is a very bad time for Daniel Jones to miss time with a neck injury that could linger. The Giants have a game Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. But when you look at their upcoming schedule and you look at the stretch run, it wouldn't have been out of the, the question for them to make a run at the NFC East title if Dallas would stumble down the stretch, even though I don't think that's likely. You know how I feel about what the Cowboys are doing this season and how high I think their ceiling is. But the Giants have a brutal salary cap situation next year. Right now, only something like $5 million in cap space going into 2022. You're going to have to decide what to do with Saquon Barkley. That's a really difficult conversation. I think it's an easy one. You don't extend him at this point based on the injury history, based on the lack of productivity. But even more so, you need to decide this offseason whether you're going to sign Daniel Jones long term. You're going to need to decide if you view Daniel Jones as having top 15 in the league upside as a quarterback when he hasn't shown you anything close to that other than his rookie season. And the rest of the body of work has been just average. Yes, he's improved with turnovers this year. Yes, he seems to have cut down on the interceptions a little bit. Yes, the fumbles are down. The ball security seems to be better. But I don't know that you lock up a quarterback who, even though you chose him six overall, has only thrown for more than 15 touchdowns once in his career in the first three years. This isn't a situation where he doesn't have help around him. But if you're the Giants and you own two top 10 picks, what do you do? Do you commit to Daniel Jones, pick up the fifth-year option, and draft the two best tackles in the league or the best tackle and the best guard and try to piecemeal an offensive line together in front of him on that fifth-year option to decide what to do? And if he doesn't play well or he just plays okay, you're probably picking 15th the next year. Do you trade up? Do you try to trade both those picks plus to go get Kenny Pickett out of Pitt, who looks like the consensus number one quarterback prospect, but you look at the conversations that I've had with executives throughout the league in the last couple of weeks, and Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett are a cut below the guys who came out a year ago, that this class is not a strong class, that this isn't a great year to be picking in the top 10, let alone going shopping for a quarterback. Or do you take those two first-round picks and do you go shopping for a Jimmy Garoppolo who might be a a modicum of an upgrade over Daniel Jones? Do you try to trade two first-round picks plus and go get Derek Carr? Would that even matter behind that offensive line? But I think the biggest concern for the Giants right now is you're losing out on opportunities to evaluate Daniel Jones. And in my opinion, 
That's what this season was all about for the Giants. It wasn't about making the postseason because the roster as a whole, the offensive line, the linebacking core, there are issues there. There are issues with depth, especially on this roster. This wasn't about making the postseason in 2021. It was about evaluating Daniel Jones. And if you have a limited sample size, if you aren't able to see Daniel Jones play a full season at full health, if this is it for Daniel Jones and he finishes with 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Have you seen enough? Have you really seen enough by the eye test? Yes. I think watching Daniel Jones on Sundays, it, it shows a different story. I think he's really improved from the pocket. The fact that he's facing pressure as often as he is this season, as often as he has in his career. I mean, you're talking about a guy who so far this season has already been sacked 22 times. I mean, you're looking at this and he's facing a barrage of pressure. The eye test tells you that the potential is there but the production isn't matching it. So this injury is really bad news for the New York Giants. So, you know, you look at this week and you look at what happened in Tampa Bay, you look at what happened in New York. In a 48-hour stretch, this season, two of the biggest storylines really emerged. And I think that they're both in a really, really difficult bind, the Buccaneers are and the Giants are, for very different reasons. And, you know, Sunday's games are going to be really telling about these franchises and, and where they're at. I think that, you know, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are built to win now. And I think that they have enough with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski. Now that he's back on the field and back healthy, they should put on a show in Atlanta. This should be another, not necessarily get right game because they did win last week, but it's an opportunity for the Buccaneers to show that they are a Super Bowl caliber team. And I think they have the opportunity to, to make that kind of a statement on Sunday, but the giants going to Miami, that's a tough spot for New York. It's a tough spot for Mike Glennon. It's a tough spot for a team that, that's really dealing with some significant injuries to try to right the ship. But the game that I'm going to be looking forward to the most, the game that I think is going to tell us a lot, it's Patriots-Bills. It's Monday night. I mean, you look at this, and we've been saying it for weeks, the Buffalo Bills are one of the more inconsistent teams in the NFL and in the AFC. It might come down to the Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl again because I look at what Mac Jones is doing. I look at what that defense is doing with Bill Belichick calling the shots. And the Patriots look like the team to beat. They look like the most complete team on that side of the bracket. And, you know, can the Bills pull it off at home? If it's snowing and you got that lake effect snow and all of the winds going and that kind of messes with Mac Jones and if Josh Allen can, you know, move the offense down the field and the Bills pull off an upset here, then it becomes a real tight race, maybe even a three or four team race in the AFC. But that's the statement game. That's the identity game for both the Bills and the Patriots. And it's one of the biggest games that we've seen so far on the schedule. I can't wait for that. Thanks as always to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson for producing this program. He's instrumental each and every week for getting this show up and running and off the ground. Thanks to Brandon Bell for dropping by. I'm Matt Lombardo. Please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store to Stack in the Box. Leave those five-star reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Appreciate you listening. Enjoy the games, everybody. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, Inside Fansided Stack in the Box podcast feed. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.